Today we're going to be uh, off our beaten path a bit. We're not going to be in James. We've been going through the book of James uh, week by week. But uh, today we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to the book of 1 Timothy. And we're going to be in chapter 1 today. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to just share an abbreviated version of my personal testimony. And, and I say abbreviated because, you know, you know how those things go. There's, there's lots of details you could share, but as I tell my girls often, you don't have to tell everything. Uh, so let me just give you the, the big picture. Um, I was born in 1972 in Lexington, South Carolina, uh, to parents who prioritized going to church, uh, at that time when I was born, I had one older sister. She was born in 1974. And uh, they were going, they were taking us to a Lutheran church in town because that's where my dad's parents went. About the time I was five years old, they, uh, there was a, a church being planted. It was a conservative Presbyterian church, and they thought they'd get involved in that, uh, you know, because there's two branches of the Presbyterian church. One is far more conservative. The other one is, tends to be a little bit more liberal in its theology, but uh, this was a good conservative Bible teaching church in town, so that's where we started going. That's where I spent most of my uh, years growing up in a, a Presbyterian church, and I was in the youth group and all this. Um, now, I went to church every week, but that was not a decision that was up to me. Uh, I just went because mom and daddy said, you're going to church, and that was the end of that discussion. Uh, a lot of people say I had a drug problem when I was growing up because Daddy drug me to church three times a week, uh, and I didn't have a choice in the matter. But I say that to say it was not that I did not have a good foundation, okay? The things I've done in my life or that I did in my life that were not pleasing to God was not because my parents hadn't taught me right. It was not because I grew up in a home that didn't care nothing about God or church. It was simply because I'm a sinner, lost without Jesus. And, and until Jesus comes and takes control and gives me a new heart, then I, I'm just going down the wrong path. So let me just hit a couple of highlights here through my high school and college time. Um, my parents got divorced when I was a junior in high school. And quite frankly, that messed me up because I had already gotten to the point where I thought that wasn't going to happen because we had gotten in my, my sister was a freshman in college and I was a junior in high school and I was already to the age where I thought that was no longer a concern so it hit me a little harder. And about that time is when I started drinking. And I just used that as a real easy, convenient excuse. Well, this has happened in my life, and this is terrible, and I don't know how to deal with it, so I'm going to just go out and party and, and have a good time. Now, I was still going to church, mind you, but my behavior was not affected as much. Y'all follow me? So that, that went on junior year, senior year of high school, 
Let me tell you a little thing that happened in my junior year of high school after that. Seatbelt law wasn't in, in effect at that point. So it wasn't illegal not to wear a seatbelt. So, and I never did. The one day I only wore my seatbelt was the day I took my driver's test. Because, you know, the person sitting right there, it'd be kind of bad not to. So anyway, that's the only day I wore it. Never wore a seatbelt. I left the high school up in Lexington one day, pulled out on Highway 1, headed towards town. About halfway between the high school and the very middle of town where number one and 378 meet, there's right now, if you go into Lexington, there's a, there's a Rush's hamburger spot right there and a bank. And uh, there's a, used to be a Rite Aid drugstore. It used to be where the old Heights restaurant was. Anyway, that intersection right there. Well, I was approaching that intersection. But between there and the high school, about halfway, uh, I just put my seatbelt on. Now, I don't ever do that. Never put my seatbelt on. Never wore a seatbelt. But I just put it on about two miles before I got into town. Well, when I was approaching that traffic light there in that big intersection in the middle of town, um, a lady that at was at the front of the line was, had stopped at a green light. And it was, you know, it was two lanes each way. She stopped, drove a old, like a 60-something Buick. I mean, the thing was 20 feet long, big, huge car. And so it wasn't going anywhere. You could run into it. It was, made out, it was made solid. It wasn't going anywhere. Well, she was stopped at the green light. So the car in front of me slammed on the brakes and stopped like that far from the car. Well, I wasn't so lucky. I slammed on my brakes and hit the car in front of me and knocked that car into the car in front of them, the lady who had stopped. The only problem was about a second later, I didn't know what was about to happen. There was a lady behind me in a Chevrolet Blazer four-wheel drive that was looking at the radio or something, and she didn't tap her brakes. She hit me going 50 miles an hour, which hit me into that car again, which hit that car into that car again. Then a fella in a Corvette run up under her because she didn't hit her brakes, so he didn't realize he was needing to hit some brakes, so it was five cars, and I was in the middle. But remember, I didn't ever wear my seatbelt, except that day. And tell, me, tell me God's not real. I don't wear a seatbelt. I, I, I lost consciousness for probably, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds. But when I woke up, I was sitting kind of weird because the impact, it was a four-door car, with a trunk, and the impact had broken the bolts that secured my driver's seat to the frame, so my seat was just turned over. I didn't break a bone, had a little scratch on my forehead, a little scratch on my knee. That was it. Got out the car. The keyhole to the trunk was in the back seat, the front, the hood was done like that. So basically that car just kind of like an accordion set for where I was sitting. But God's not real. Unfortunately, that was not enough to get my attention. So I went on through high school, kept going to parties, kept drinking, 
Never did try any, any drugs, not that I didn't have opportunity, but just alcohol. Went all the way through college, went to Clemson. You know, you, you got priorities, you know, you got drinking and you got class. Kind of tight race, you know, what was more important. But I made it through, did enough to graduate, and uh, so graduated Clemson in 1994. Right, right as I was about to graduate, I just had this moment. People talk about how sometimes things go into slow motion. And I've never had that happen to me, except for that one day. I was in Little John Coliseum on the Clemson campus at my graduation. And my row got up. It's time to walk up there to the stage to get my diploma. And I got up, and I'm walking, and I get about like what would be like these steps coming up this side and going down it. I get about 10 feet from the steps, and I just, everything just kind of froze. I don't know what it was. It was just kind of, I realized, oh, I'm, I'm about to be out of school forever. This is great. But wait a second. Now I, I got to work for a living forever. <laughs> and so this was, it was a big deal. That was a, a big moment in my life, being done with school. I had never been done with school before. I was 22 years old. And something just kind of got a hold of me. Had a job, went back to Lexington, working at a lawyer's office in town. And I'm up at the courthouse one day on lunch, sitting in my truck in the parking lot. I can tell you almost exactly where I was. And something just came over me. God had just kind of had enough of me going my own way, had enough of me uh, disobeying his word and basically dragging his name through the mud and going to church here and there and telling everybody I'm a Christian, but then Monday through Saturday night, nobody would be able to tell that I was a Christian. Anybody identify with that? Because that's the testimony of a lot of people. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. But if you don't, don't pay any attention to what I do between Monday and Saturday because it's probably not going to look a whole lot like a Christian life. Had a foul mouth. Well, God took care of all that when I finally humbled myself and submitted to him, which he'd been trying to get my attention all this time, and I'm just so hard-headed I wouldn't listen. He, he spared me from dying in a car wreck. I mean, I put my seatbelt on for Pete's sake. I never wear a seatbelt. He saved me from numerous opportunities to hurt myself or die in, in alcohol-related events while I was in college. I mean, because, you know, you're 20 years old, you're, you're not thinking a whole lot about safety and, and logic necessarily. But God did all that. God had his hand on me and protected me from things. I didn't even realize, I didn't realize it was happening at the time until I look back now. I'm 46 years old. I look back 25, 30 years and I can see with great clarity the hand of God, the protection of God, the love of God just all over the place. So if you don't look back sometimes, you won't realize what all God's doing for you. He, he, he looks out for you and guards you from things that you, you're oblivious to them. 
Paul had an experience like that. Paul was a bad guy. We're going to read about it because Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, one of the last two things he wrote before he died. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at just a few verses, but I want you to see real clearly, based on kind of in the context of my personal testimony, what God has done in my life, and I want you to see how Paul gives his testimony in 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 12. We're just going to go down to verse 17. But follow along with me, if you would, as I read these few verses and we talk about it for a little while. And uh, hopefully we'll be tuned in to what God wants to tell us today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. God speaks through Paul. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will speak to us clearly today. I pray your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts. Speak to us today, God, and give us the strength to be obedient. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. The message today is just simply, thank God for the gospel. You know, none of us would be in any kind of good shape at all were it not for the gospel. And there's five things in particular that Paul points out in this little short paragraph that helps us to understand why the gospel, literally the good news of Jesus, why that's such a big deal. Because it is a big deal. Number one, thank God for his strength. Look at verse 12 and in the first half of verse 13. Paul says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord. The funny thing is, you know, when you, when you look at... I, I used to think, why in the world am I am I'm in seminary? I've got to take these classes. I've got to take this language and all. Why do I got to do this? I, can just, I got it in English. Isn't that the whole point? But I'm going to tell you what. You see some really, really neat things when you study other languages. The word for thanks is at the very beginning of the sentence. Greek's weird like that. Sometimes if they want to emphasize a concept, they'll put that word at the very first of the sentence to say, hey, this is a big deal. Pay attention to this word, thanks. Paul gives thanks to Christ Jesus, his Lord. He's, it's in the emphatic position of the text. So just think about this. Paul thanks God because God was evaluating his faithfulness. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. Does it make you nervous at all that God evaluates how faithful we are? It's like we're constantly taking a test, and God's the teacher, and so he's grading us on how faithful we are 
to Him, to His Word, to His plan, His design for us. And it's God that evaluates us. It's God that places us or puts us into service. You see, Paul said there in the end of verse 12 that God considered him faithful, appointing me to the ministry. It literally means he put him into service. So Paul just didn't wake up one day and said, you know, I think I want to change teams. I know I've been killing Christians and persecuting the church, but I don't think I want to do that anymore. I think I want to go join the other side and start preaching this new faith, this, the way, this Jesus Christ salvation. I think I want to do that. That wasn't Paul's idea. God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus and saved him, changed his whole direction in life. See, that, that Paul had that done to him. God did that. God put him into service. But notice that God doesn't leave his past undealt with. Look what Paul says in verse 13, the very first half of verse 13. He says, even though, and he starts thinking about who he used to be. Because he just said, I'm giving thanks to Christ who strengthened me and considered me faithful, and appointed me to ministry. But then in verse 13 he says, even though I was formerly, look at the things he says, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. That word literally means violent, insolent, aggressive. So Paul's just saying, I was a violent guy. I was, going, I was persecuting Christians. In fact, when Paul got saved, he was on his way to persecute some more Christians. He was all about that, putting a stop to this faith. And now he's preaching the faith that he tried to destroy. So he knows who he used to be. He knows what kind of man he was. And so now he's thanking God in Christ because he's saying, how in the world could you consider me faithful? Can I get a witness? Does anybody look at your own life and think, God, why are you using me to do anything? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who... I was what I've done. Why are you using me? See, Paul knows who he was. He was a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent, aggressive, arrogant man. But he thanks Christ Jesus, his Lord, for strength. Number two, thank God for his mercy and his grace. Look at the rest of that verse, 13, and end of verse 14. He says in verse 13, in the midway point, he says, But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. You know what mercy is? Mercy and grace is kind of a, a, a twin set of beautiful blessings. Mercy is when you deserve something bad. Let's say you've done something wrong and you deserve punishment. Mercy means... I'm not going to give you that punishment that you rightfully deserve. So when somebody's in court and they say, I'm throwing myself on the mercy of the court, what are they asking? I know I've done wrong. I know I deserve this punishment. I need mercy. I need you to withhold the judgment that I rightfully deserve. So Paul says, I received mercy. So that's a beautiful thing. He knows he was guilty. He knows he deserved punishment, but he received mercy. Why? He, he acted out of ignorance in unbelief, that, that word for ignorance is kind of funny because it literally means no knowledge. You know what's funny about that? That's where we get our English word agnostic. 
folks that don't believe in God, you know what that means? They have no knowledge. And then he says unbelief, that means no belief. No belief, no knowledge. That's what Paul was doing. And, and get this, just so you know how incredible it is for Paul to say that, Paul was a Pharisee. You know what that means? He was one of the smartest guys in town. He was schooled in religious studies. He was at the top of his class, he says, later in, in Colossians, I believe, when he, he's talking about who he was in, in other letters that he wrote. He was really smart. But here he says he had no knowledge and no belief. that He was acting out of ignorance because God gave him the knowledge that really mattered. What he had was not true knowledge. Then verse 14 says, The grace of our Lord overflowed. I love that word right there. It means grace abounded. It literally means it was there in great amounts. It overflowed. It was abundant. Now grace is just like mercy in that while mercy says you deserve this punishment, but I'm not going to give it to you. Grace says you don't deserve this gift, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. So you don't get the bad stuff you deserve, and you do get the good stuff you don't deserve. Boy, that's... A <laughs> That's amazing. Grace and mercy are unbelievable. And they're both for our benefit. He abundantly gives us what we don't deserve. Faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see that at the end of verse 14. Number three. Thank God for Jesus. I mean, that's almost self-explanatory, right? Thank God for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. This is another one of those moments when a word in the Greek New Testament is put up here at the front of the sentence to make sure we don't miss it. It says, this saying is trustworthy. Well, in, in the Greek language it says, faithful is the word. It's trustworthy. That's why it deserves full acceptance. This statement, what's the statement? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a beautiful statement, and thankfully that's the truth. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. But look what Paul says. I'm the worst one. I'm the worst one. You know, uh, this truth right here, that Jesus Christ came into this world for the purpose of saving sinners. That's why he came. But you know... Paul says we ought to fully accept this truth. Well, by the way, we ought to fully accept all this truth because it's all God's Word. But you know what's ironic about that? We have a, we have a, a, a problem sometimes accepting God's Word, just believing it for what it says. We, it, because sometimes we bring with us kind of some pre preconceived ideas to the text, and so maybe we don't want to believe what it says because maybe it conflicts a little bit with what we already believe, and we don't want to have to change what we think. So we just conclude, well, may, I guess the Bible's not right. I mean, it's right on this other stuff, but maybe on that part, maybe it's just not right. That's baloney. The Bible ain't never wrong. If, if, if something, that, just, just bear with me for a minute. If there's something that I believe and I think and I find that the Bible says something different than what I believe or think, guess who's wrong? Me. I have to change to fit 
God's Word. I can't expect God's Word to try to change to fit what I think because I'm, no, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I'm a sinner. I'm a created being. I'm not the creator. I didn't write this Word. I didn't create the world. I don't have any right to tell God He's wrong. Y'all all right? God is always right. His Word is always right. A.W. Tozer said that it's almost unbelievable how far we'll go to avoid obeying God. We call Jesus Lord and we beg Him to rejuvenate our souls, but we're careful not to do what He says. When faced with a, a sin or a confession or a moral change that should happen in our lives, we find it easier to pray half the night than just to obey God. And let me just say this. When you pray... Because you're seeking God's face and you want to know what God wants you to do? Guess what? Once He tells you, it's time to stop praying and start doing. You don't got to keep praying about something when God's already given you the answer. And oftentimes, if you're anything like me, I'll pray and I'll know good and well what God wants me to do. Well, I need to stop praying and start doing what He says. If I, if I don't do what God says, it's not because I don't know. It's just because I don't want to do it because I'm a sinner. Paul sees himself as the worst of sinners. Charles Spurgeon said that the people who are most clear in their witness that salvation is by grace alone are also the people for whom sin is exceedingly sinful. See, Paul didn't have to question whether his salvation was by grace and mercy from God because he was terribly sinful. He calls himself the foremost sinner, sinner number one. He's the perfect example of a sinner. The word that he uses here is a Greek word, protos, where we get our English word prototype. So if you want to know exactly what a sinner looks like, Paul says, look at me. I am the perfect example of a terrible sinner. That, that's who Paul says he was. Now, now understand the tense there. It's present. It's not past. He doesn't say, I, I was a sinner. I was the worst sinner. He says, I am the worst sinner. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. And if we wonder if that's the truth, all you got to do is go back to the first part of the New Testament, look in the book of Acts, like chapter 8 at the beginning and chapter 9 at the beginning, and see the kind of things that Paul was doing. The first Christian martyr was a boy named Stephen. He was one of the first deacons. So be careful, deacons. He was the first one to die for his faith. Stephen, when he was being stoned to death because he was proclaiming the truth of the gospel, Paul was the one standing by there holding all the coats for the people so they could wind up a little better with their rocks to throw them. The Bible says he was giving approval to the death of Stephen. Then in chapter 9, right before he got saved, right before he got saved, it says, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2 says, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus. So if he found anyone belonging to the way, both men and women, he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, Paul was a bad man. But 
he knows that Jesus saved him by his mercy and his grace. Number four, and this might be one of the most amazing parts of this story. Thank God for his patience. See, Paul found mercy in Christ, and Christ demonstrated his patience. You see in verse 16, this is real interesting. I want you to look at this with me. Verse 16, this is the next to the last verse in this paragraph, and he says, I received mercy for this reason. Okay, why? Why is it that Paul received this mercy? It was so Jesus could demonstrate his patience. He could show his patience. But here's the interesting thing. I looked at two or three different English translations of this text, and all of them used a different word. But none of them were actually in the original Greek New Testament. This one says, Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience. Another one said his perfect patience. Well, that's not in there. You know what the word is? It's really weird. It's a word in Greek that means all or whole or every. And so here's what it means. And this is why, I guess, people use perfect or extraordinary or amazing or unlimited, inexhaustible. It's because God has all the patience. He's got all the patience in the whole world. You don't think he's got enough patience to deal with your problem? He's got all the patience. Literally. All, you, we say that sometimes. Oh, man, you've got all the patience in the world to deal with that. God really does have all the patience in the whole world. All of it. So no wonder he had enough patience to deal with Paul and his sin. And this was the whole purpose. Paul says, I received mercy for this reason. So Jesus could demonstrate this patience as an example to who? Look at the, look at the word. The end of verse 16. Who's the example for? It's for us. It's for us. It says, for all who would believe in him for eternal life. That's us. So Paul was an example that Christ used to show everybody that would ever believe in Jesus Christ, let me show you how much patience I have. You think you're a problem for me? Look at Paul. He's the worst sinner on earth. And I had enough patience for him. You, know, you think I don't have enough for you? Are you sitting here today and you, you might be saying something, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You're right. I don't. But God does. And let me tell you a little secret. He's not worried. Because he's got all the patience. He doesn't just have all the patience. He's got all the grace all the mercy, all the love, all the kindness, all the forgiveness. He's got all of everything he needs to deal with whatever you got going on. There's nothing in your life that is too much for God to deal with. Did you hear me? Nothing. He saved Paul. He, he made Paul the greatest missionary that ever lived. This man was killing Christians. That's what he did with Paul. You think he can't handle you or me or anyone else? John Stott said that Paul's conversion had a number of unique features, like the, the heavenly light that shone down and the, the audible voice, and then Paul fell down and was blinded for a few days. 
But see, he was not just the prototype of sinners. His salvation was a prototype of conversion. You know why? Because it was going to show for everybody just how much patience God has with us. He never wears out. He's never going to get to the point where he says, and have you ever said this with somebody? You've been dealing with somebody, maybe that's doing the same thing over and over and over, and you just about had enough. All right, that's it. I just can't, I can't take no more. God never says that. He, ne- he has never said that. God has never gotten to the point where he's just had enough. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make here. If God was patient and gracious enough to save Paul, he is patient and gracious enough to save anybody. John Calvin said, No matter how heinous and aggravated might have been his sins, no sinner has had the gate of salvation shut against him. Did you hear that? No sinner. There is no sinner that is too bad. Let me put it this way. You know what all this means? I need you to, I need you to listen. I need you to tune in to what I'm about to say here, okay? So if you're fading a little bit, I need you to really perk up and listen right now. Here's what this means. There is nobody so good to where they don't need to be saved. Also, there is nobody so bad to where they don't need to be saved. Let me say that again, just so you can get both sides of that coin. There is nobody so good to where they don't need to be saved. And there is nobody so bad to where they can't be saved. See... Jesus got you covered no matter which end of the spectrum you think you're on. If you think you're so good, oh, I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven because I'm good. I go to church. No, you're not. You're going to bust hell wide open. If we could go to heaven being good, then there would be a lot less crime in the world. We can't get to heaven being good. And, we, and you might say, well, I've just done so many things. God will never take me. And that's not true. Because he's got all the patience. He can deal with you. He can deal with anybody. And by the way, he created you, so I would think he would know. Number five, last thing. Thank God with praise and worship. All this Paul has said, he gets to this last verse, and he just breaks out in worship and praise. It's a doxology, verse 17. It's a doxology. He says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God... Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Have you ever been so amazed with God that you just can't hold in your worship? You just got to gotta let it out. You can't hold in your praise for God. So this response that Paul has of spontaneous praise, he says, God is the king of ages, the king of the universe, the king of forever. He's immortal, so he lasts forever. He's invisible, which means he's not seen, which is why faith is required. And God is the only true God, the one and only. There's no one like Him. Paul never stops giving honor and glory to God. 
And what's so interesting about this is this little word amen that he uses at the end, it's like it's just the, the bookend for verse 15 because he said faithful is the word, trustworthy. And you know what amen means? Let it be. This is the truth. Amen. It's like he, he closes it in, that, that thought. He says this is, this is the truth. Y'all, this, this doesn't need to be doubted in any way, shape, or form. This is the truth. So five things today that we've seen in this text. Number one, you thank God for his strength. Number two, thank God for his mercy and grace. Number three, you thank God for Jesus Christ. Number four, we thank God for his patience. And number five, we thank God with praise and worship. Now, I started all this by giving you part of my testimony. And, um, you know, it had some different little things in there that weren't so great. And I, I, might get, I could go into detail, but I'm not. But, but here's what I want to just tell you in closing. Because everybody's got a testimony. And oftentimes I'll think about and kind of compare my testimony with one like my wife. Now, Darlene, her testimony's different than mine. Darlene grew up, she's got a younger sister. Her parents, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful parents. She grew up in a, in a godly house with good examples. They took her to, her and her sister took her to church every week, multiple times a week. But Darlene, she didn't, I mean, she didn't have to deal with divorce like I did, but that's not an excuse. I'm responsible for my own actions. She didn't have to deal with that. She didn't, um, she didn't go off and experiment with alcohol. She didn't lead any kind of immoral life or anything. She, she never, I mean, she never smoked or drank or drugged or anything. I mean, she, she is, and she'll tell you this, she is what people like in high school may have called a goody two-shoes. And, and probably out of jealousy because she didn't, she didn't do nothing wrong. I mean, she's not perfect. She got in trouble here and there, but it wasn't for anything like I got in trouble for, <laughs> you know? But what, here's what I'm saying. Her testimony is far different. Her testimony is not, well, I, was, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and God delivered me from all that. But guess what? She was still going to hell without Jesus Christ. If you don't hear another word I say today, I want you to hear this last thing I'm going to say. A testimony ain't got nothing in the world to do with, well, I used to drink or I used to do drugs or I used to be immoral, I used to do this or that. It doesn't matter. Jesus didn't, oh my gosh. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. It doesn't matter if you didn't do anything when you were a kid and you didn't cuss or you didn't drink. That doesn't matter. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Jesus makes you alive. He didn't come to make you good. He came to change you completely. He takes your sin 
And He gives you His righteousness so that when God looks at you, He doesn't see you, He sees His Son. He sees the perfect Lamb of God so that you are justified in His sight. And, and sometimes we use that word justified. It's just as if I never sinned. No. It's in spite of the fact that you are terribly sinful. You are still justified in the sight of God because of Jesus Christ. So that is why we have to praise God, thank God, give glory to God for this gospel truth. This truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the truth. It's, it's a faithful word that deserves full acceptance. There is no other way for forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. There, there's no other way. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the sooner we wrap our minds and hearts and arms around that truth, the better off we'll be and the more positioned we'll be to share that with a dying world, which is, by the way, our whole reason for being a church. Let's pray.